welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, recorded on Thursday the 25th of May and brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind and with permission of the Worcester News. I'm Catherine Neal and I'll be leading the team this week. Pippa is unable to be here. The team this week comprises Alex Gwynne as recording engineer, Carol Hartle on copying and admin and our readers today are Tom Neal and Jane Fairs. I'd like to extend a warm welcome to any new listeners and hope that you enjoy our recording. As always, we will include, first of all, a list of useful telephone numbers, then what's on in the local theatres, followed by the headline stories, a selection of general news stories, some sport, and then finishing up with the thought for the week, sunrise and sunset times, and of course, the birthday file. If we don't have a record of your birthday and you'd like to be included, please do get in touch and we can add it to the file. Obituaries are now recorded after the closing music. We do like to hear from you, so if you have any comments or problems, a message can be left on the answer phone on 01905767766. Alternatively, just put a note in your wallet. Finally, the service is free to users, but if you'd like to make a donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5 1DA. And at this point, I'd very much like to thank the following for sending in donations in, in recent times. Anne Briggs, Joan Beach and Diane Smith. Thank you very much, very much appreciated. So let's start this week with the telephones telephone numbers which Jane is going to supply. Talking newspaper Colin Chance House 01905 767766 Listeners should be aware that this is not man daily and need to be patient if a reply is required. Police non-emergency 101 NHS direct 111 Out of hours medical assistance 0300 123 3211 between 6 and 8 pm. Crime Stoppers 0800 555 111. Worcester Hub 01905 765 765. Worcestershire County Council here to help 01905 768053 option 3. Community Risk Team Fire Safety, 0800 032 1155. Domestic Abuse Helpline, 0800 980 3331. Sense Adventures, Walking for Visually Impaired. D. Jones, 01684 891 or 144614 uk. Samaritans 116123 Worcester Live 01905 Worcester Wheels for Transport, 01905 450 654, 8.30am to 4.30pm. Link Nurseries at Poick, 
have a session for visually impaired on Friday mornings. Telephone 01905 831 881 for more information. Thank you, Jane. Right, I'm just going to give you a short summary of some of the things that, that are on at the moment or in the next couple of weeks. Um, given that poor old Tina Turner has passed away and the news only came out yesterday, I thought that I would alert you to the fact that for a long time it's obviously been planned. There is an event this Saturday, the 27th of May, at the Swan Theatre called Totally Tina, a breathtaking recreation of a live Tina Turner concert and it celebrates the golden anniversary of the Queen of Rock and Roll's signature tune, Proud Mary, a fun-packed musical spectacular. Well, if you are thinking about Tina Turner and would like to attend that, it will be at 7.30 at the Swan Theatre on Saturday. Tickets are £26.50 and the box office phone number is 01905 611427. Another thing that looks very interesting to me is on at the Morven Theatres from Tuesday the 30th of May to Saturday the 3rd of June. Pride and Prejudice by Isabel MacArthur after Jane Austen, sort of. Direct from its triumph in the West End where it won the Laurence Olivier Award for Best Comedy and the prestigious Evening Standard Award, this is a unique and audacious retelling of Jane Austen's most iconic love story and comes with a string of pop classics including Young Hearts Run Free, Will You Love Me Tomorrow and You're So Vain. So it's on the week from Tuesday to Saturday, the 30th of May, the 3rd of June, starting at 7.30, and there are matinees on the Wednesday and the Saturday at 2.30pm. There are a range of ticket prices from £23.50 up to £44.50. You can phone up the box office at Malvern on 01684 892277. At Pershaw number 8... There is the Pershaw Operatic and, Dramat and Dramatic Society presenting Guys and Dolls from Monday the 5th to Saturday the 10th of June. This has been described as a perfect musical comedy. It starts at 7.30 each evening. Tickets are from £12 to £16. And the phone number to get the box office is 01386 555 488. That's from the 5th to the 10th of June. Looking ahead, some of you may be particularly interested to know that the Kumbach Male Choir is coming to Malvern Theatres on Saturday the 1st of July. They will showcase, as the programme says, the beautiful sound, thrilling technique and exhilarating close harmony talents of the choir. Uh, that's at Malvern Theatres on Saturday the 1st of July at 7pm. Tickets are £20.72 and £18.48 and if you want to book for that the box office number is again 01684 892277 There's a lot of really nice things on at the moment or coming up so I hope that you get the chance to enjoy something. So now we're going to have a summary of the main headlines. Tom's going to read out the main headlines and then he'll start off with the first story. Thanks. Friday, 19 May. Helping Cody's legacy live on, 
family push for new laws to make all nightclubs have metal detectors and bleed kits. Saturday and Sunday, the 20th and the 21st of May, Joby lived his life to the fullest. Hundreds say goodbye to man killed in crash. Monday, 22 May, banned. Teacher found with explicit child images in locker. Tuesday, 23 May, rats. Major issue in Worcester. Wednesday, 24 May, drama as hotel is evacuated. Thursday, 25 May, hotel fireman in court. Family tribute to Cody's zest for life. The family of Cody Fisher has paid tribute to his zest for life and are pushing for new laws to make all nightclubs have metal detectors and bleed kits. As his aunt Jane Pask Rudge prepares for a fundraiser at Nuffield Health Worcester, where she is an instructor, she paid tribute to the 23-year-old. Born in Redditch, Mr Fisher died at Crane Nightclub in Birmingham on Boxing Day after being stabbed. Mrs Pask Rudge, who is also landlady of the Galton Arms in Himbleton near Droitwich, described him as a fantastic footballer who played since year dot. He had played several football teams, including Bromsgrove Sporting, Stourbridge FC and Stratford Town FC, and taught the sport across several schools. Mrs Pask Rudge said he had a genuine passion and love for the sport, and it shone over him all the time. The children could see how much he enjoyed it, and it was contagious. With most boys, if you love it and then you have this mini-hero, it is really inspiring. He was so inspirational. They always say he was the nicest person ever, but genuinely no one had a bad word to say about him, and he had none to say about them. He was perfect. He had such a zest for life, a wide circle of friends, everyone wanting to be his friend, and he was just fun to be around. Since his death, his family and friends have set up several fundraising campaigns and a petition in memory of Mr Fisher. A petition to pass Cody's Law, which will make it the law for nightclubs to have metal detectors and bleed kits for clubs, has reached a staggering 24,400 signatures. It needs 700 more signatures for the petition to reach Parliament. One fundraiser... Cody 23 Community Fund aims to encourage young adults from all backgrounds to gain coaching or referee qualifications. A second charity in his name, CF3 Cody Fisher's Anti-Knife Crime Foundation, hopes to eliminate knife crime altogether. His aunt added, We can't bring Cody back. It has ruined lives, not just Cody's, but his family and friends as well. We want any help we can get to help Cody's legacy and memory live on and educate the younger generation not to carry knives. The Dancathon will take place at Nuffield Health, off Droitwich Road, on Saturday, May the 20th, to raise money and awareness for Cody's law. And this one is about Joby, who lived his life to the fullest. Pershore Abbey overflowed as friends and family said their goodbyes to a man who lived life to the fullest. Hundreds of people attended the funeral of Joby Haynes, who died in a car crash earlier this year, aged just 26. Pallbearers and friends wore pink suits or bright colours, and there were floral tributes from the family. The service, officiated by Reverend Alma Organ, began with a tribute written by Joby's father, Paul Haynes. 
Joby really did live life to the full in every way, said Ashley Hooman, who read the tribute on her stepfather's behalf. He enjoyed travelling, motor vehicles and concerts, but most of all, his enjoyment came from his huge circle of friends. He did not waste a moment in his life. Joby, previously of Ombersley, but latterly of Strensham, died in a crash along the B4082 near Pinvin on Sunday, March the 26th. He had only returned to the country two weeks previously, having spent several months travelling Australia and Southeast Asia. Paul's tribute continued thanking Joby's mother and stepfather, Sue and Steve Tustin. Thank you to Joby's stepfather, Steve. You made him the man he was, and for that I'll always be grateful. He admired and respected you. And Sue, you were the best mum a son could have wished for. Trust me, he knew how lucky he was. At the funeral yesterday, May the 19th, a eulogy written by Joby's mother was read by Ed Craven-Smith, the best man at Sue and Paul's wedding. Where, oh where, do we begin, it started. He came out like a rocket, and that set the pace for the next 26 years. The eulogy continued, reflecting on Joby's childhood and working life, including one job he had had for just two hours. Several humorous memories were shared, such as one involving an overflowing shower and another of meeting with Father Christmas in Lapland. After friends were given the chance to share their memories, the service came to a close before a wake at the Vale Gold Golf and Country Club. Thank you. <clears throat> so the headline story for Monday was Teacher Had Child Images. A teacher at a school in Worcester has been banned from teaching after explicit images of children were found in his school locker. Christopher David Glover, aged 48, and formerly of Cradley Heath, has been banned indefinitely from teaching after the images involving children as young as eight were discovered at Newbridge Short Stay School. None of the images discovered featured children who attended the school. Glover was arrested and later found guilty of three offences of making indecent photographs or pseudo-photographs of children and three counts of distributing indecent photos or pseudo-photographs of children. He appeared at Dudley Magistrates Court, where he was also guilty of voyeurism, which involved secretly filming an adult undress. The teacher misconduct panel found Glover's actions were deliberate. They said Glover purchased a video recording device to record an adult without their knowledge and had downloaded a security application in which he kept images for trading, including sexual images of children. The panel also acknowledged Glover said he kept deleting the sharing application as he felt disgusted. Glover began working at Newbridge Short Stay School in January 2021 until his arrest later that year in April. Ian Enright, executive head teacher at Newbridge School, said we're deeply appalled and shocked by the behaviour of a former staff member. We took immediate action when the school was alerted by West Midlands Police to Glover's arrest, implementing our safeguarding procedures and working closely with the police and the local authority and terminated his employment with immediate effect. We take our safeguarding responsibilities extremely seriously and regularly review our procedures to ensure the continued safety and well-being of our pupils. Glover's behaviour 
behaviour led him to a sentence of imprisonment, which was suspended. The panel added his actions were likely to have impacted the safety and security of pupils and members of the public. Alan Mayrick said on the teacher misconduct panel, Christopher Glover is prohibited from teaching indefinitely and cannot teach in any school, sixth form college, relevant youth accommodation or children's home in England. Furthermore, in view of the seriousness of the allegations found proved against him, I have decided that Christopher Glover shall not be entitled to apply for restoration of his eligibility to teach. Tuesday's main story concerned rats. City has major rat problem. There are major issues with rats in Worcester, warns a pest control expert. Concerned residents have reported 449 infestations to Worcestershire County Council, though the city has not been blighted by super rats, which are rampant in other areas of the UK. Some urban areas have become home to the genetic mutations which have become less susceptible to some forms of common rodenticide and wary of methods used to control them. Jim Allen of Allen Pest Control, based in Hallow, said the city has not seen the mutations but does still have an issue with rats' nests. Mr Allen said... I would not say I have seen an emergence of super rats in Worcester, but there is certainly a major issue with rats that people do not see. There is no direct council service to help with infestations in infrastructure across the city, so it is up to guys like myself and other pest controllers to tackle the problem. People can be infected by a bacteria carried by rats, which is capable of causing a form of jaundice, known as leptospirosis or Wiles disease. It is spread in rats' urine and can persist in wet places. The research into infestations conducted by Direct Line Insurance also found that each local authority across the UK spent an average of £101,044 dealing with residential rodent infestations. Despite this, just £23,672 was spent across Worcestershire for tackling rodent infestations. Simon Wilkes, head of Worcestershire Regulatory Services, WRS, said property owners are mainly responsible for dealing with their own rodent infections, with some councils offering subsidised services for people on benefits, which WRS administers for them. We've no evidence of changes to the number of rats reported to us for these treatments. Five of the Worcestershire authorities, Bromsgrove, Malvern, Redditch, Worcester and Witchhaven, provide a free service to people in receipt of qualifying benefits, which last year saw the council spend a combined £23,672. This was a slight decrease from 2021, where 23,797 was spent tackling infestations. Worcestershire Regulatory Services said the 2020 data is not comparable due to the effects of the COVID pandemic. Allen Pest Control is a Worcestershire-based service covering Worcester, Malvern, Droitwich and South Birmingham. Worcestershire Regulatory Services delivers services including environmental health and licensing services throughout the county. And this is the story for Wednesday, May the 24th. Drama as hotel is evacuated. A city hotel had to be evacuated after a suspected fire and the arrest of a guest who refused to leave his room. 
fire crews and police <coughs> rushed to the travel lodge in Cathedral Square as alarms went off and guests were forced to leave the building. It was an operation which involved three fire engines, four police cars and an ambulance, the evacuation of the hotel and a fire service cordon being placed in front of several businesses and the car park. A suspect was ultimately led away to a waiting police van in handcuffs as hotel guests and members of the public watched the spectacle on Monday evening. The, the suspect, aged 40, appeared to offer no resistance and did not speak as he was escorted away by four police officers. The Worcester News understands that he is still in custody at Worcester Police Station. A, pl a police spokesperson said at 6.15pm on Monday, emergency services were called to the Travelodge in High Street, Worcester, following a report of a suspected fire in a room on the fourth floor. Following attendance by Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service, a 40-year-old man was arrested for criminal damage and taken to Worcester custody. The Worcester News understands the damage was to a lock on the hotel room door. The spokesperson for Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service said three Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service crews from Worcester Fire Station were called at 6.03 to a fire. A person was in the room and refusing to leave. Entry was made to the room using spreaders and a Kelly tool. A man was taken into police custody. All persons were accounted for and the incident was left with police. Ambulances was, were... An ambulance also attended, but the spokesperson said there were no casualties and the incident was marked as pending closure at 7-Eleven. A fire assembly point was set up in Cathedral Square with several guests saying the Travelodge had been evacuated after fire alarms went off. A female guest who declined to be named said a security guard said he, the man who arrested, locked himself in their room and was smoking. That's all we know. Oh, well, thank you, Jane, because there doesn't appear to have been much news in the last um, couple of days because the headline story for today is very similar. It's the same story, in fact. So I'll just read a little bit of it because a lot of it is repetition of what Jane's just read. Um, there's a photograph of the person and the story begins, this is the face of the man who sparked a huge emergency response and the evacuation of a city hotel. Jason Jeffries refused to leave his room at the Travel Lodge in Cathedral Square in Worcester as emergency services on blue lights rushed to the scene, including three fire engines. There was a report of a fire in one of the rooms and firefighters rushed to the hotel only to find there was no fire but that Jeffries had locked himself inside. The 40-year-old of Worcester had damaged the lock to his room and was understood to be smoking. Fire alarms were set off, triggering the evacuation of the building with a fire assembly point set up outside. He admitted criminal damage at Kidderminster Magistrates Court today and received a 12-month conditional discharge and was ordered to pay £100 in compensation. And from there on, the story is, repeats the previous day's story. So that just ties up a few uh, loose ends. And that's the end of the headline stories. And now we're going to turn to a selection of other stories from this week's news. And Tom's going to begin with those. This is a story from Tuesday concerning an apology by a hospital over a delay. 
A woman's terminal cancer diagnosis could have been prevented if staff acted sooner, Worcestershire Royal Hospital has admitted. The Worcestershire woman, who was asked not to be identified, had her breast cancer misdiagnosed over a number of years, resulting in it spreading to her lungs. Worcestershire Royal Hospital NHS Trust has admitted liability for the misdiagnosis, saying it is with its deepest regret and a settlement between the two parties has been made. After recovering from an early stage of breast cancer, non-invasive ductal carcinoma in situ, in 2006, the woman had regular mammograms to check for further lumps. But between 2010 and 2017, the woman was consistently misdiagnosed, despite yearly mammograms and her saying something was wrong. In 2014, she found a lump, but Worcestershire Royal Hospital reported no abnormalities and she was discharged from the oncology department. Then again in 2016, she notified her GP that a lump had appeared and she was referred to a breast clinic where it reported no abnormalities. It was only after her 2017 mammogram that she was diagnosed with grade 1 invasive papillary carcinoma, an unusual type of breast cancer. A CT scan found that the cancer had spread to her lungs, so she was referred to Worcestershire Royal Hospital for palliative chemotherapy. Morgan Lister, associate in Enable Law's medical negligence team, has supported the woman since the trust issued her a letter saying there would be an investigation into her care and inviting her to a meeting. He said, On multiple occasions, our client went to the trust as she suspected something was wrong, but her illness was missed each time, even though it should have been spotted and investigated. With the settlement, our client can now move into new accommodation that will meet her needs and help her live as full a life as possible. Matthew Hopkins, Chief Executive of Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust, said, We recognise the patient's life has been affected by the delay in diagnosis and have directly offered our sincerest apologies and deep regret. As with any case that falls below the standard of care expected, we are reviewing our processes and training to help ensure something like this doesn't happen again. No settlement can compensate for misdiagnosis, but a resolution between the trust and patient has now been reached. And this is about the police station counter-closing. The front counter of Worcester Police Station has closed yet again this time for three consecutive days this week. The counter of the police station in Castle Street was closed yesterday and will shut again today and tomorrow. That's today is Wednesday the 24th, tomorrow will be today. And the the lights were off and the doors were locked. After the Worcester News made inquiries with the press office, we understand a PCSO was asked to staff the counter from around 2pm, allowing it to reopen. However, it had been closed throughout the morning. This is not the first time the front counter has been closed to the public. We reported in March how a similar sign appeared on the window of the station's first entrance, informing the public that a council that, that the counter would be closed on Thursday, March the sixteenth, and apologising for any inconvenience. We understand the front counter is used by people who wish to report a crime. 
by vulnerable people who are unable to use mobile devices, including those who may be the victims of domestic violence, and for sex offenders to register. This is considered important, as it also follows offender managers to keep closer control over monitoring sex offenders in the community and protecting children and young people. And the temporary closure means the nearest police station providing a front counter service is Redditch today and tomorrow, and Kidderminster on Thursday, that's today. The police station itself was open, and police officers, including uniformed officers and plainclothes detectives, were seen entering and leaving by the back entrance. A sign in the doorway, which contains no message of apology, reads, This front counter will be closed on Tuesday, May 23rd, Wednesday, May 24th, and Thursday, May 25th. Your nearest police station providing a front counter service is Redditch on the 23rd and 24th and Kidderminster on the 25th. The counter is usually open between 8am and 4.38pm on Monday to Saturday and 10am to 4pm on Sunday and bank holidays. A spokesman for West Mercia Police said, Worcester front counter was closed temporarily for a very short period to allow for alternative cover to be put in place. The front counter is now open as usual. It's our absolute priority to ensure the public can contact us when they need to. For those with online access, non-urgent matters can be reported via our website www.westmercia.police.uk Right. So, there has been some concern over debris near a historic bridge. A freezer and a bathtub are among the items caught up in a large build-up of debris next to a historic bridge near Worcester. Poic Old Bridge has been branded a mess after colossal mounds of driftwood, including whole tree trunks, have floated up the River Team and been caught at the bridge. Stuck among the logs are household items like a freezer, a bathtub and several bottles and food packets. An Environment Agency spokesperson said it is aware of the debris but it is the owner of the embankment who is responsible for clearing the mess. The spokesperson said we're aware of debris around Poet Bridge and we've been working with Worcestershire County Council to remove it. It is the riparian owner who is responsible for clearing the debris, so they will be able to provide a time frame on when it will be cleared. They added that the agency regularly clears debris from around the bridge to improve the flow of the river team, which they do as part of flood risk management work. Debris around the bridge can be difficult to remove in the spawning season between October to July without disturbing sediment which impacts upon any gravels downstream which would be an offence under the Salmon and Freshwater Fisheries Act. This is not the first time the bridge has had to be cleared of rubbish and debris. In August last year, a boat crew and heavy-duty tractor with a winch worked round the clock to clear a massive dam of dead wood clogging up a river. The work was carried out to improve the river's flow and reduce the flood risk for nearby communities during last year's autumn and winter months. The historic bridge, Poic, was the site of the first skirmish of the English Civil War as tensions boiled over between King Charles I and Parliament. 
For many, the bridge is an enduring symbol of the city's rich Civil War heritage during one of the bloodiest chapters in English and British history. Worcester played a pivotal role in the conflict between the Cavaliers and the Roundheads, taking centre stage for the first skirmish of the war at Poet Bridge on September 23, 1642, and the last battle on September 3, 1651. Paul Harding of Discover History, who organises Worcester walking tours of the city battlefields, previously spoke of fears the debris could damage the bridge's stonework. Mr Harding said... A large build-up on a shallow river could divert the water into farmland or put great pressure on the stonework of this important bridge. This story concerns a housing development in Ombersley. The headline says, Village Less Desirable. It was recently named as one of the most desirable villages to live in, but people worry a Worcestershire village may soon lose that title. Ombersley is currently having a new housing development built by Spitfire Homes, which will feature 45 homes just north of Woodhall Lane. For decades, the five-acre plot of land was home to a cottage and several outbuildings before they were demolished to make way for the new development. However, the development has come under some backlash from readers who fear it will affect the village voted one of the most desirable to live in in the UK by The Telegraph. Fonz Walker said, it's desirable until it's buried under concrete. And Mike Morris added, it is now less desirable than it was. Others highlighted the need for more infrastructure in Ombersley to accommodate the number of new people moving into the area. Jane Oakley said, houses and flats are all well and good, but how about building some schools and hospitals to go with them? Tom Pear added, more people for an overloaded hospital. Spitfire Homes has committed more than £250,000 to the local area and community support with the main contribution of nearly £125,000 going towards providing education facilities at Westacre Middle School. Improvements are also being made to Ombersley Tennis Club. Councillor Judy Goodman, Chair of Ombersley and Doverdale Council, said, following a very lengthy planning procedure, extended because of concerns of both residents and the parish council on the size of the development and the number of properties to be built, the Spitfire site in Ombersley is now under construction. It is now hoped that, as with many of the residents of the Lord Hill Garden development, new residents coming into Ombersley will get involved with the community to help maintain the overall ambiance of the parish. When it is finished, the development will feature a mixture of two, three and four-bedroom homes, some of which will be affordable housing. Witchhaven District Council granted planning permission for the Ombersley site in December 2021, despite several objections from Ombersley residents. They complained that the number of homes proposed for the site had increased to 45 from an initial 25. Spitfire Homes declined to comment. And this one is thousands to line the streets for the carnival. Thousands of people are set to line the streets for a popular carnival returning to the city in July. Worcester's carnival theme will be Our Colourful World and the annual parade is set to take place on Saturday, July the 1st. The parade will be making its way through the streets and traders will be able to set up a stall or a pitch at Carnival Village on Pitchcroft Racecourse. 
The festival is a hit with visit visitors every year, and about 9,000 people visited the city centre in 2022 after a two-year hiatus due to COVID-19. Organisers hope this carnival will be remembered by future generations. A spokesperson for the event said it goes straight to the heart of what the carnival is all about, a celebration of everyone we call our neighbours in the city of Worcester. We want it to be a carnival for future generations to remember. That's what he's just said. I didn't cross that one out. Um, one that includes the breadth of Worcester's community and makes a positive impact on the world around us. The charity event is urging performers and traders to apply and take part in the festivities and is offering the opportunity for applications for those aged six to eight to be in attendance. Traders will be selling artisan food, drink or crafts for the visitors to enjoy and last year's theme for the carnival was celebration and over 30 different groups took to the streets to take part. Melanie Eastwood was crowned Carnival Queen last year and she said to think that I got through the interview process let alone became Queen was a complete shock as I'm not your typical stereotype Carnival Queen but I've had the absolute best time. What it taught me is that if you don't go for it, it never happens. So why not? Organisers are also hoping to make the role more inclusive and Melanie has used her title to encourage people that might not fit the stereotype to imply. Mm. Mm. A Morland family are road schooling their children on a once in a lifetime journey across Europe and North Africa. The Cook family have been travelling across the two continents in their camper van, affectionately named, affectionately named Gilbert, since September 2022. Julia Cook and her husband Tim wanted to give their children William, aged eight, and Elizabeth, aged six, the opportunity to see the world from a young age. Mrs Cook, a paediatric nurse at Birmingham Children's Hospital, said... We think this trip was a brilliant opportunity to open our children's eyes and realise that the world is a big place with lots of different cultures. Malvern is a very white middle-class place and we believe it's important to learn that not everywhere is the same. We took them out of which primary school last year and have been road schooling ever since. William and Elizabeth have been taught using the UK curriculum as a guideline with their two-hour Monday to Friday lessons also being adapted based on wherever the family are visiting. Mrs Cook said, The children's morning lessons have included a lot of geography and history, such as learning about weather and climate, and history including things such as ancient Greece. We visited places such as France, Spain, Greece, the Balkans and Morocco, to name a few, and were currently based near Antalya in Turkey. Despite the drastic living arrangement change, the family took to the camper van better than they thought they would. Mrs Cook said, We thought that it would be difficult adjusting to the camper van, but we were very surprised how quickly we took to the change. We have a double bed above the cab, and the children have bunk beds to sleep on. We also have a living area and a kitchen. It is our home. This morning, we're parked on a beach, and I can wake up to the sands of the ocean, which is amazing. We can go for a run and then jump into the sea for a quick swim. The family will return to England when the trip ends in August. She said, we're preparing to enter the school, the children back in school for September. 
Elizabeth has Down syndrome, so she requires an education healthcare plan, which we're in the process of arranging. Hopefully the children will be back in school by then, and we will be back to our normal routine that we had before, for, before our trip. This story concerns a zebra crossing on Windermere Drive near Sainsbury's in Blackpool. The headline says, Some cars don't stop. Urgent calls have gone out for a better pedestrian crossing near a city supermarket because drivers regularly fail to stop. The moment Councillor Jill Desiree stood at the terrible zebra crossing in Windermere Drive near Sainsbury's, the first car did not stop as it headed up towards the supermarket's mini roundabout. However, other motorists were more considerate and slowed down as soon as they saw the councillor, who might be considered conspicuous given she was wearing a bright red top and had dyed her hair bright purple. Now the Warndon City Councillor says the community should be served by a light-controlled pelican crossing to better protect the public, including schoolchildren, disabled people and parents with pushchairs. She was backed by resident Stephanie Rawlings, aged 38, of Cranham Drive, who was approached by the councillor after a car whizzed past her without stopping. Ms Rawlings said, The crossing is terrible. Some cars don't stop. A lot of the children don't even look when they cross. They're on their mobile phones. I have one child myself, and I do worry about it, the speed they come down. I would back a proper crossing here. Councillor Desiree said she requested a Pelican crossing be considered by Worcestershire County Council in January. She has suggested one that beeps and says it would replace the zebra crossing. However, she said she had been told by the police that they had recorded no accidents in the last three years. She said, I don't think waiting for an accident to happen is reason enough not to have the crossing. Drivers regularly don't stop for pedestrians at the crossing. Cars approach at speed, as there is quite a long distance with no calming measures. She described the crossing as frequently used, including by people shopping at the Sainsbury's store. I'm concerned somebody is going to get knocked down. Many drivers are considerate, but it only takes the odd one to be going too fast and not paying attention, who does not notice somebody trying to cross. A spokesperson for Worcestershire County Council said... We can confirm we have received a request from Councillor Desiree to investigate speeding issues in the Windermere Drive area of Worcester. We will liaise with the local county councillor once our initial investigations are complete and we'll discuss with them how best to take this situation forward. And this is quite a long piece about a nine-year-old boy who died in the bath. The mother of a nine-year-old boy who died in the bath lied to the police about her partner staying overnight at the house, a jury heard. Alfie Steele's mother, Carla Scott, aged 35, and Dirk Howell, 41, are on trial for murder at Coventry Crown Court. The jury has previously heard an order banned Howell from staying overnight at the home of Alfie, aged nine, which was put in place amid concerns about him from social services. On Tuesday, May the 16th, PC Robert Siwuha gave evidence. He said police arrived at the steel house in Vashon Drive, Droitwich, late at night on May 4th, 2020. PC Siwuha said he saw a male first come up to the upstairs window before disappearing. 
The officer said Scott appeared at the front door and she was asked who was in the property with her. Scott replied it was her and Alfie. The officer said he then challenged Scott on this, saying he knew a man was there as he had seen him. The body-worn footage was then played to the jury and in it the officer was seen telling Scott to get Howell. The officer explained to her Howell would not be taken into custody but had to leave the property. Later, the jury heard a statement of next-door neighbour, Gemma Olcott. Miss Olcott said on August 3rd, 2020, she heard banging and thrashing coming from next-door bathroom. A 999 call she made was played to the jury. After leaving, when the police were called, they were called again by Miss Olcott, and Scott went round to her house. Miss Olcott had not answered the door, telling police she did not want a confrontation. The emergency services arrived at Alfie's home in Droitwich on the afternoon of February the 18th, 2021, but police and paramedics found Alfie already cold and lifeless. Scott denies murder, manslaughter, causing or allowing the death of Alfie and child cruelty offences against Alfie and other children. Howell of Princip Street, Birmingham, admitted child cruelty against other children before his trial, but denies murder, manslaughter, cruelty, or causing or allowing the death of Alfie. Several injuries inflicted on the nine-year-old boy, who was found dead in the bath at his home, were from an adult who had lost control, the court had heard. Community paediatrician Dr Sue Zaitlin told a jury that some of the bruises on Alfie Steele, who was found dead in Droitwich in February 2021, suggested he had been manhandled. She also told the trial at Coventry Khan Court that she could not exclude the marks on Alfie's buttocks were from being kicked by an adult. Mr. S Dr Zaitlin, who has 40 years' experience as a paediatrician and 20 years in child protection, said the number and location of the injuries on Alfie's body suggested they were more than classic childhood bumps and scratches and said it was likely he had been subjected to physical punishment. Multiple injuries to the face like this are very unusual. You can have one or two injuries from falling off a bike, but it's unusual to get 50 from a fall. And the doctor accepted that other factors could contribute to a seizure. He had no significant predisposition to epilepsy, but the doctor accepted that uh, a seizure could include low blood sugar, tiredness, alcohol, recreational drug exposure and flashing lights. Alastair Williamson KC defending said, I suggest Alfie had a deletion in the genetic code and it's possible this genetic deletion gave him a genuine risk of having a seizure. Dr Ellis said, we all have risk of epilepsy. He added, Alfie had reached the age of nine without a clear reported documented episode of epilepsy in a life that was exposed to some stimuli and trauma. It was put to Dr Ellis that a perfect storm of factors could have caused a seizure. Dr Ellis said, yes, absolutely. A mum accused of murdering her son, Alfie Steele, denied her first thought as 
paramedics worked to save the nine-year-old was to protect her fiancé and co-accused. Carla Scott, age 35, and her fiancé, Dirk Dean Howell, are both accused of murder. And Scott was cross-examined in the witness box by Michelle Healy, KC, prosecuting at the Coventry Crown Court. Scott was shown body-worn footage taken when officers had arrived at the scene on the day of Alfie's death and questioned Scott if Howell had been in the house. And in the footage, Scott could be seen denying. Scott was asked by the prosecutor if, at that moment, she thought Alfie might be dead. Yes, Scott replied. Your first thought was to protect Dean, wasn't it? No, Scott replied. Scott was then asked what Dean had done. Scott replying he had done nothing. You agreed you did lie to the police, Scott was asked. Yes, the defendant replied. The prosecutor put to Scott that Alfie had been beaten, kicked and held under water. Scott replying no to each. The jury heard earlier that in the trial that the school raised concerns with social services about Alfie being constantly hungry. The prosecutor put it to Scott. She had used food as a punishment, leading him to be starving. No, Scott replied, adding he had a huge appetite and after feeding him he would still be hungry. Later, the prosecutor said, you find lying easy, don't you? No, Scott replied. The trial continues. Council warns of cuts and job losses. The council is warned of job losses and further cuts to services, with a worrying gap in the authority's budget expected to rise for at least £4 million in the next five years. Cuts of between 8 and 10% are predicted to be needed to bring Worcester City Council spending in line with income, and it's said it will look at outsourcing services and turning to sponsors, volunteers and other community organisations to run some of its activities. <coughs> Council bosses are already discussing cuts to departmental budgets and alongside potential job losses have reopened the voluntary redundancy scheme to try and save as much money as possible. The Council warns that already squeezed services will be cut to the bone with only the amenities the authority has to do by law spared from the chop. A gloomy report by the council's managing director, David Blake, paints less than a happy picture of the, of the city council's books, with an ever-increasing gap expected to reach nearly £4 million by 2028, based on current predictions. The city council was facing a £1.7 million gap in its books this year, which it's already been agreed will be filled by using reserves. And council bosses warn they're now reaching the point where there will not be enough in the reserves to continue plugging gaps in the budget in that way. The council said it would continue to meet its statutory responsibilities, those things which it must do by law, <clears throat> but outside of that, services will be decommissioned as necessary and nothing is protected from cuts. The high rate of inflation is already expected to add another £300,000 to the Council's costs for this financial year, with energy costs rocketing by £600,000, including a contribution to struggling Freedom Leisure for running some of the city's leisure centres, such as Purdeswell, 
and agreed pay rises are expected to add around another £700,000 to the budget. Mr Blake said the council's medium-term planning had been hampered in recent years by constraints on the public purse and decisions by the government to only make local authority funding announcements every 12 months rather than for several years at a time. The council said it was essential it looked at its costs with energy bills rising and government funding for local authorities falling. The report was due to be discussed by the Policy and Resources Committee this week. This is a story about City's Mayor on his bike. The City's Mayor has vowed to keep his carbon footprint as small as possible this year by using his bike to cycle to events. Keen cyclist Councillor Louis Stephen, who was elected the City's first Green Mayor earlier this month, has promised to make most of the journeys during his 12-month stint as Mayor using two wheels. Councillor Stephen has long been promoting the benefits of ditching the car for the bike and hopes to use his time in the spotlight as Worcester's first citizen to prove he is not just talking the talk on travelling greener. He said he wanted to lead by example during his mayorship and promote the physical as well as mental benefits of cycling. I've always used my bike and I try and travel using it whenever I can so. I don't see why the next 12 months should be any different, he said. Obviously, a lot of occasions will call for suits or fancy address, but I'm going to be trying my best to attend every duty I can by bike. There are a range of benefits to cycling when you can, including the physical, but just as important, the mental health side, and it even frees up some road space for people who do need to use a car. If you can use your bike, then I think it's a very good thing to do, and so I want to be a leader and show people that if the Mayor of Worcester is doing it, then so can you. In his first week as mayor, Councillor Stephen joined the city's ever-expanding bike buses, which see parents, volunteers and organisers form a cordon to help children cycle safely to school. The organised cycles to school have grown in popularity, from humble beginnings with only a handful of dedicated riders to large groups of pupils now picking up the bike to cycle to school rather than being dropped off in the car. The City Council has also recently provided funding to city cycle campaigners Bike Worcester to help create six new routes for parents, carers and pupils to use. And this is I'm amazed no one who was killed. A drunken woman who drove the wrong way down a motorway, injuring another, has avoided jail. Dorothy Denny, age 65 had been drinking vodka at home for six hours on October the 4th last year before getting in her Mini to drive to a garage to buy more alcohol. Instead, she drove onto the exit road at Junction 8 of the M5, heading south on the northbound carriageway. Driving the other way was a personal trainer, Carly Pope, an athlete and personal trainer from Birmingham who suffered broken bones in her wrist, whiplash injuries and bruising in a near head-on crash. Denny was fined £10,000 and given a 20-month suspended prison sentence term, suspended for two years at Gloucester Crown Court on Friday. The judge, recorder Neil Millard, said no driver on that motorway would have been expecting to have a set of headlights heading towards them. I'm amazed that no one was killed. The court, Miss Pope's injuries, had, had heard that Miss Pope's injuries have had a major impact on her ability to work or take part in athletic events.
Denny failed a roadside breath test and was taken to hospital, suffering from broken ribs. Blood tests, taken some hours later, found she had 142 milligrams of alcohol in 100 millilitres of blood, the legal limit being 80 milligrams. Amber Morell, defending, said Denny of Blenheim Drive, Breeden, is extremely remorseful and mortified. She said she realised she'd made a mistake and didn't know what to do and how to correct it. This was not a case of dangerous driving with a flagrant disregard of the rules. Recorder Millard interjected, I disagree, she's driving a weapon. Denny admitted causing serious injury by dangerous driving between October the 4th and 5th and causing serious injury to Miss Pope and drink driving on the same occasion. Recorder Millard told her, you have avoided being sent immediately to prison by the smallest of margins as you've shown genuine remorse. There is a prospect of rehabilitation and sending you to prison would serve no realistic purpose. The judge banned Denny from driving for 10 years, asking her, do you understand how lucky you are to be here and that you're not dead? Do you understand how lucky all the other road users are that that night on the motorway, on the way to the petrol station? Denny must attend 25 rehabilitation activity requirement days and be subjected to a four-month alcohol treatment order. Her driving licence will be endorsed for the drink driving offence and she must take an extended driving test if she resumes driving. Thank you. A devastated disabled woman fears a toxic garden swamp festering in her garden is slowly killing her dogs. Jane Bamford of Green Lane, Worcester, is sick with worry after both her dogs became violently ill, which she blames on her stinking, sodden garden, oozing black mud and mould. The 58-year-old has complained to Platform Housing, which manages her bungalow, about the rancid quagmire several times and says the chief executive's personal assistant has done her best to help her. She said, I don't call it my garden, I call it the swamp. I'm waiting for an alligator to come out of it. It's been nothing but trouble since we moved in. When it rains, Miss Bamford said the garden becomes more like a swimming pool with three inches of stagnant, stinking water. At one stage, she put a carpet down outside to stop water seeping under the house. She walks around the house with a mop bucket full of disinfectant and regularly shampoos her carpet. But she's increasingly worried about her two dogs trailing the foul mix into her bed as the pair sometimes want to sleep in her bedroom. Her main concern is the health of five-year-old German Shepherd, Wolf, and 13-year-old Gladys, a Cairn Cross, with a Jack Russell. Both have had symptoms including violent bouts of vomiting, loss of appetite and scabby pores, which she attributes to the pool of black muck in her garden. When they venture out of her garden, she said her beloved dogs sometimes look like the creatures from the Black Lagoon, caked from head to foot in the smelly ooze. She's taken the dogs to her vets three times after they started getting sick six weeks ago, costing her £124 so far in bills. Miss Bamford is worried if nothing is done, the vet's bills will spiral. It's a claggy black substance with a chemical sheen to it. It's this black mud. I thought I'd struck oil at first. That black stuff is mould, not soil. I'm worried the dogs will die from exposure to the water. I'm devastated. 
All I want to do is live in my house and enjoy my garden, she said. The stress follows a metre mix-up with E.ON, where customers in the bungalows, including Miss Bamford, ended up paying each other's bills. Darren Harrison, service manager at Platform Housing Group, said of the garden issues, we're sorry to hear of our customers' issues with her garden. We have been in touch with the developer who visited Miss Bamford's home earlier in the week to undertake a site survey. The developer will be taking action to rectify the issue. End of an era for shop. A music shop which is now in liquidation is due to be the subject of an online auction bringing with it the end of an era. Crane's Music in New Street, Worcester, closed in mysterious circumstances last month, leaving some customers scratching their heads as they tried to recover their property from inside. Now a sign has appeared in the window which says Crane's Music Limited in liquidation. The sign also contains details of an online auction. The sale closes on Tuesday, May the 23rd at noon with a viewing available the day before. Those who are interested are advised to book an appointment by contacting AMS Auctions. We reported last month how the doors were closed and locked after staff there served customers for more than 30 years. Meanwhile, the building's owner, Adam Giannotti, who is the director of the Olive Branch, is now looking to rent out the Crane's premises again. He is not connected to the management of Crane's music itself. We have reported in 2006 how under managing director Steve Grice there was a Yamaha music school based at the store. Under the umbrella of Worcester Academy of Music, the shop taught 500 students a week and offered courses in keyboard, piano, guitar, contemporary singing and drums. John Cook arrived to try and get his guitar back after previously posting a letter through the shop's letterbox. However, the lights were off at the shop which sells, which sells guitars, digital pianos, keyboards, acoustic pianos and ukuleles. We now understand his guitar has been returned to him. Mr Cook, aged 71, and a singer and guitar entertainer, said his Martin DRS1 electric acoustic guitar was in the shop on a sale or return basis after he took it in two weeks ago. He paid £629 for it on July the 3rd last year from Guitar Guitar in Glasgow, but was selling it at Cranes for £549. The shop takes a 25% cut of the sale, he said. The owner of the premises, not the business itself, is Adam Giannotti, who shared a post on Facebook saying, Shop to rent on New Street, Worcester. Retail or restaurant and bar. Private message if you want more details. He explained he owned the building, describing the situation as heartbreaking for Cranes. We have approached Cranes Music for a comment. This is about the best poor forward for charity walkies. <clears throat> Dog lovers from across Worcestershire joined thousands of owners from across Europe by taking part in a charity walk to raise money for animal rescues. The Agria Dog Walk now in its fourth year, took place on May the 20th at Whitley Court and Gardens. Thousands of dogs and their families from Denmark, Finland, France, Germany, Norway and Sweden put their best paw forward. The walk marks the beginning of Pet Insurer's Agria support for English Heritage's dog-friendly days out under a new three-year partnership. 
Agria will donate £5 for every dog that walks the walk round the Worcestershire countryside with an aim of raising much-needed funds for a selection of animal charities, including Daybreaks Trust Birmingham. Vicky Wentworth, CEO at Agria Pet Insurance, said, It's always so heartwarming to see dog lovers across the country unite to help to make a difference to the lives of animals in the care of rescues. We continue to see the cost of living crisis putting rescues under stress. So it's never been more important to help to care for and rehome animals abandoned due to no fault of their own. Last year's dog walk saw more than 800 dogs in the UK and over 18,000 across Europe walked to raise funds for over £35,000. And this year we've set our sights even higher. Ruth Price from Daybreaks Trust said, We're continuously inundated with requests to take dogs for rehoming, and we currently have a waiting list for those retiring from racing that are waiting for a space at Daybreaks for us to find them a home. Along with trying to raise funds to keep running, we are con- constantly under pressure, so this event is going to be a great help. To register or take part, visit www l-y-y-t-i dot f-i that's small letters slash forward r-e-g forward slash agria with a capital a-g-r-i-a under slash dog that's a capital d-o-g under slash walk under slash 2023 under slash 6687 forward slash e-n Thank you. Right, well, this is um, about something which I, my own experience suggests people have quite strong views about. Shoppers are not impressed after hearing the news a supermarket will be adding more checkouts. Waitrose on London Road, Worcester, revealed it would add more checkouts to meet the growing demand from shoppers. The store will soon have 11 self-checkouts compared to the six currently. Waitress hopes the move will improve how customers use the store. However, shoppers were not pleased with Waitrose's plans. Leslie Doreen Hollis said, Untrue. Shoppers are not demanding more self-checkouts. And Wend Spittle said, I hate self-service checkouts. Why can't they leave things alone? For the customers who prefer face-to-face interaction, the store said it will still have five traditional checkouts for shoppers and their trolleys. One shopper, Jim Partridge, was disappointed and said, I detest self-checkouts. Aunt Summers jokingly added, Good, I'm fed up of waiting 30 seconds to pay for my self-scan shopping. However, some shoppers praise the move by Waitrose and find the self-checkouts better than going through a traditional till. Vonnie Carter says she loves self-checkouts because they benefit her health issues and restricted movement. She added, playing devil's advocate, I personally like the scan and shop options or self-checkout from my health issues and restricted movement. Using a normal checkout is very stressful for me now, as the majority of shoppers are in a rush to get through them, and they huff and puff behind you because you're not quick enough. I can go at my speed at a self-checkout, no problem. But I do understand that these checkouts are taking away jobs from people. But it's the way things are going now. A spokesperson for Waitress said, We're focused on our customers, and this simply reflects customer demand and the fact that more and more customers are using our self-scan checkouts. 
While we anticipate speedier checkout times for those using them, we know that some of our customers like a more personal service at our checkouts, and we are retaining conventional tools for customers who want to use them. This story is from Saturday's paper concerning a large car transporter lorry. Traffic chaos as lorry stuck. There was traffic chaos after a lorry transporting cars became stuck on a main road into Worcester. The large vehicle was unable to make the turn between the steep Lansdowne Road onto Rainbow Hill. It was heading in the direction of Lowismore and the city centre when it became stuck, blocking the entire road. Rainbow Hill, which would usually be busy with rush hour traffic, was eerily quiet as police closed the two roads. Officers at the scene warned it could take a couple of hours to remove the vehicle after it became stuck at just before 5pm yesterday, brackets Friday. Drivers were asked to find an alternative route leading to heavy traffic on other roads around the city. Staff from Worcestershire Highways were called to the scene while a specialist vehicle had to be called to remove the transporter which was carrying ten cars. A neighbour watching the unfolding drama said, The hydraulics seem to have gone from the lorry. It looks as if the lorry was too big for the tunnel at the bottom of the hill, so I'm not too sure why he was coming down here. Another person watching the incident added, He has seemingly grounded the lorry and it looks as if a jack is needed to help him. A police officer at the scene told Worcester News he has grounded the vehicle and it could be a few hours yet until this is resolved. Specialist vehicles are on the way to help the situation and the road will remain closed. The spectacle gathered a large crowd as pedestrians stopped to look at what happened. Drivers travelling up Rainbow Hill have been asked to turn around and go back towards Lowismore. Drivers also used Belmont Street to drive down to get around the road closure. At just after 5.15pm, a recovery truck arrived at the scene, but the closure was expected to continue while it worked to free the large vehicle. Rainbow Hill and Lansdowne Road remained closed while the Worcester News went to press. This is about coronation spending. New figures reveal the City and County Council allocated thousands of pounds towards King, the King's coronation celebrations. Worcestershire County Council has set aside £50,000 for King Charles's coronation, while Worcester City Council allocated 15000 to mark the historic occasion figures show. However, the County Council only spent just under 3000 while the City Council said it was still counting how much was actually spent. The figures were as a result of the Freedom of Information request by Open Democracy. Worcestershire County Council's money was allocated towards museum events and subsidising road closures for community street parties. A spokesperson for Worcestershire County Council said, the County Council made an allocation available from its reserves to support local communities to come together on the run-up to and during the King's Coronation Weekend. Total spend, which was acclaimed was just under £3,000, some of which was allocated to events at museums and to subsidised road closures for community street parties. The figures show that Worcester City Council had allocated £15,000 towards the coronation. However, they are still counting to see how much the total spend is. Worcester News has contacted Worcester City Council for a comment. 
in other areas across Worcestershire, which even District Council re revealed they had allocated £30,000 to help out parish and town councils in funding celebrations. And at the time, Councillor Rob Adams, Executive Board Member for Stronger Communities, Culture and Sport at Witchhaven, said after the success of our Platinum Jubilee Fund last year, which gave 15000 to two town and parish councils to support those celebrations, we've decided to double the support on offer this time. The Coronation Weekend is a wonderful opportunity for friends and families and communities to spend time together celebrating what will be a wonderful occasion for our nation. And I also hope lots of people would take the chance to do some volunteering with some of the many wonderful voluntary and community groups we have here in Witchhaven. Well, it seems that not a lot of people took up the money. Mm. Mm. Well, thank you. And that's all in the general news for today. So we're going to read a few sport, uh, sports stories now. Um, and I'm going to ask Tom to read the first one. This concerns the rugby club Wasps. Wasps demoted to bottom of pyramid. Wasps' proposed move to Six Ways now looks in tatters after the RFU withdrew the club's licence to play in the English league structure on Thursday evening. A statement from the RFU, that's the Rugby Football Union, confirmed that the former Coventry-based club would no longer be able to compete in the championship next season, saying they would be demoted down to the bottom of the English rugby pyramid, level 10. The governing body had accepted Wasps' application to play in the second tier next season earlier this year, but after months of little progress being made, the RFU confirmed all Wasps' supporters' worst fears. In order to be sure that Wasps were in a position to play in the championship, the RFU set a deadline for the club to meet the commitments it had made when the licence was first approved and recommit to participating in the championship in 2023-24, the statement read. These included evidencing payment to rugby creditors and putting in place suitable governance structures, including a majority independent board and a process for managing risk. The RFU was also concerned about the lack of progress engaging coaching staff and players. The club stated that it could not meet these commitments, recommit to participating in the championship in 2023-24, or engage staff of players until further finance was secured. The RFU had worked with the club's new owners to give the club the best chance of continuing in the league structure and recognises the effort the new owners have put in to try to make this happen. However, the RFU board decided that in order to give certainty to other clubs, the licence to continue to play is withdrawn. Wasps will now move to the bottom of the playing pyramid and certainty can now be provided to the championship clubs over the forthcoming season. But what does this mean for the owners at Six Ways? Earlier this month, Wasps had officially applied to the RFU to use Six Ways as their home ground for next season. In the aftermath of that news, information on Companies House revealed that Atlas had taken out a debenture loan, a loan agreement in writing between a borrower and a lender that is registered at Companies House, held by Loxwood Holdings. Loxwood Holdings is Christopher Holland's company, the man who is the director of the company that brought WASPs out of administration. That loan has been reported to be in the region of £1 million. 
but now they will have to drop to level 10. It seems unfeasible that Wasps will make the move from Coventry, leaving six ways, potentially with just Worcester, with just Worcester Warriors women and non-league football team Worcester Raiders as tenants. Wasps would, reportedly, have been paying around £600,000 a season to rent out six ways. So Atlas now stand to miss out on that valuable income and they will now need to find from that from somewhere else. But if they cannot bring Worcester Warriors men's team back to life, questions will be asked as to how they can keep the business afloat. Oh dear. <coughs> <coughs> and an international cricket star has jetted into the country ahead of the start of Worcestershire's Vitality Blast campaign. New Zealand all-rounder Michael Bracewell has arrived in the UK ahead of the Rapids opening match of the T20 season. Worcestershire Cricket Steering Group Chair Paul Pridgen confirmed Bracewell would be flying over from India on Monday evening. That's last Monday evening. Bracewell has spent recent months playing for Royal Challengers Bangalore in the Indian Premier League but their failure to make the knockout stages means he's free to join the Rapids. Pridgen said, Michael Bracewell will be available for the beginning of the blast and is flying to England this evening from India. All being well and subject to the normal medical checks, he should be in contention on Wednesday. We had contingency plans in place should Michael's side, RCB, have reached the knockout stages of the IPL, but are delighted he'll be joining us as planned. It wasn't the most productive campaign for Bracewell on the subcontinent. Signed as a replacement for the injured Will Jacks, the 32-year-old averaged 29 across five appearances for RCB at a strike rate of 123 to 40. In total, he managed 58 runs from four innings with a highest score of 26. Worcestershire announced the signing of Bracewell back in December. It came at the end of an impressive year, with Bracewell having made his Black Caps test debut against England in June. He then showed his hitting power for his country with 127 off 82 balls in an ODI against Ireland last summer, and followed that up with a hat-trick in a T20 against the same opponents in the first over he bowled in an international match. Bracewell will be experiencing his first taste of county cricket in England when he turns out for the Rapids. He said, I'm really looking forward to my first experience of the Blast, a competition in which Worcestershire had a lot of success in recent times. I've heard a lot of good things about Worcestershire from a lot of New Zealand players who've recently played there and I'm really excited to have the opportunity to join up with the group next summer. Worcestershire opened their uh, 2023 campaign away at Northamptonshire. Steelbacks on Wednesday, that was yesterday, with a 6.30pm start. Hmm. Well, here's a story about Worcester Warriors women. Worcester Warriors women have set up a Just Giving page in order to raise crucial funds to support them through the summer. The page has been organised by main sponsors Cube International as a means of helping the club get through the non-playing months ahead of next season. 
Warriors women have a long-term deal with Cube, but head coach Joe Yap explained that they need some extra support to keep them sustainable in the long term. Ultimately, Cube have set up Paige for £50,000 for that short-term support, she said to BBC Hereford and Worcester. What we have to remember is that Cube have only been here a couple of months helping us save our team. They're in a good position to go out and get that sponsorship for our kits and to really build us in, in the long term. But in the short term, we need that bit of support through the summer months. We're super excited about the future, but we want to thrive. We've been in survival mode for months now, but we want to thrive and keep increasing exposure for our brand. We're not worried about not getting through this period. We know lots of people out there are wanting to help. We're constantly being approached by fans wanting to know how best to help us. This is just another opportunity to gain some support and gain some financial security. Warriors Women have a verbal agreement in place with Six Ways new owners, Atlas, a consortium headed up by former Warriors CEO Jim O'Toole and business partner James Sandford, but it is yet to be officially announced. Asked whether Atlas were going to help, Yap added... We have the deal to lease the stadium with Atlas, but there are no deals with them financially supporting us. It's been an incredibly difficult year for Yap's side, who were also punished as a result of the men's team going into administration. But they now exist independently from the men's side, since Cube came on board and kept them alive, when it looked as if they too could have been forced to disband. It's been an incredibly tough roller coaster to be on, added Yap. The girls have been incredible, the staff have been incredible. To stick by the club and to show loyalty and commitment. You see the best in people when things are tough, even at our lowest point we continue to fight. That's why Cube joined us short term, to help us out, and then we've had the highs of being confirmed in the league for next season. In January 2023, Cube International confirmed they had a 10-year plan with Warriors Women, to help them operate independently from the men's team. At the time, they said, we're delighted to be able to secure the future of Warriors women. When we stepped in last year to acquire the team on an interim basis, it was clear that the team had huge potential with a talented playing squad and passionate people running the day-to-day business. The local community is vital to our plans, as is demonstrating the immense potential of women's sports to inspire future generations. Our ambition is to engage local businesses to collaborate and share ownership of a club that has an amazing future, both on the pitch and commercially. And here's a story that is rather a contrast concerning the financial position of the firm that dealt with Worcester Warriors' sale. The headline says, Administrators set for big profit boost. The business restructuring and advisory firm Begbie's trainer, who handled Worcester Warriors' administration process, is set to reveal sales and profits ahead of targets after being boosted by a jump in corporate collapses. The Manchester-based firm said it has seen insolvency numbers continue to rise over the past year as firms feel the pressure of soaring cost inflation and reduced consumer spending. Over the last year, the company has worked on administrations for high street stationery chain Paper Chase, which shut its 106 shops due to insolvency, and Worcester Warriors, who have since been sold to new owners Atlas. 
Begbies were appointed back in September 2022 and in May finally sold the company to Atlas, who are directed by former chief executive Jim O'Toole and ex-London Irish forward James Sanford. On Monday, Begbie's trainer told shareholders revenues are expected to have risen by 11% to £122 million over the year to April the 30th, compared with the previous year. Meanwhile, pre-tax profits are due to have grown by 16% to £20.7 million for the year. Begbie's trainer hailed good organic growth in business recovery activities, which have increased 6% over the year as insolvency market volumes continued to increase. The group has also benefited from a continued strategy of acquisitions, including a recent deal to snap up Banks Long & Co. We have further developed our range of services, extending both our financial advisory business and property advisory services through earnings accreditive through earnings, acquisitions principally funded by strong cash generation. Our strong financial position leaves us well-placed to continue to invest in the business, both organically and through acquisitions to continue building our scale and range of complementary services. That's for everybody. Bromsgrove Sporting have confirmed that former Worcester City captain Aaron Roberts will rejoin the club having departed Clean's Lane last week. Fan favourite Roberts announced on Twitter that he'd be leaving City after four years with the club last week, having joined from from Bromsgrove back in 2019. Sporting confirmed the signature of their record appearance maker on Thursday afternoon. He said, I'm absolutely buzzing to be back. The rider had previously been on with the club during the most successful period of its journey so far. Bring me the best memories I've had in football, he said on his return. The fan base and I have always had a great relationship and having left in a way that felt like unfinished business, I want to be part of the new era in a league that's stacked full of big matches which will entice big crowds to join us. I can't wait to get back to the VG to show my best for the club. It's time to get a feel good factor around the club again. As a club, we should be aiming for those top positions. The ground and fan potential makes us one of the biggest in the league. It's just a case of getting the club united again and seeing where that takes us in a very competitive division. It's a pleasure to be back. Roberts will jump from step five with City to step three with Sporting. But given his experience at the level, he looks to be a bit of good business for the Rouselers. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jane. Well, that's the end of our news stories for this week. Um, And I just need to let you know the times of sunrise and sunset. As as of today, sunrise is at one minute after five and sunset takes place at 11 minutes after nine in the evening. So uh, I'm going to ask Jane to read the thought for the week. Now, thought for the week ending Saturday the 3rd of June, Psalm 90, verses 1 to 4. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight 
are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's recording. I'd like to thank tonight's readers, Jane and Tom, and also the production team and Alex in the recording studio for all their efforts and to wish you a good week ahead. So it's goodbye from me and from Jane. Goodbye. And Tom. Goodbye. Jordan Sylvia Joan of Rushwick passed away in hospital on Friday the 5th of May 2023 after a short illness aged 91 years. Funeral service at St Thomas's Church, Crown East, on Thursday the 1st of June at 11.30am, followed by interment at the churchyard. Family flowers only, please, but donations if desired for St Richard's Hospice may be sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 68-70, Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3, 7EU. Lee, Catherine, Sarah, Louise, Kate, of Docklow, former of, formerly of Worcester, died on May the 13th, 2023, at St Michael's Hospice, following a short illness, aged 61 years. The funeral service will take place at St Bartholomew's Church, Docklow, on Thursday, June the 8th at 12 noon, followed by cremation at Hereford. Please wear colourful clothing. Family flowers only. Donations, if desired, for St Michael's Hospice. Inquiries to Emma Buston Funeral Services, 3 New Road, Bromyard, HR 74AH, 01-885-489-900. Powell, Catherine. Passed away on Thursday, 4th of May, 2023, aged 85. Service to take place at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, 1st of June, at 10.45. Flowers or donations to D Dementia UK may be left in the donation box. Willis John, ASM Manufacturing. Passed away suddenly on 13th of May, 2023, aged 58. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday 8th of June at 1pm. Please wear bright clothing. Family flowers only, please. May be sent or left at the service or sent to Bedwardine Funeral Service 01905 748811. Caldecott, Charles Victor, sadly passed away on the 25th of April 2023, aged 87 years, a service to celebrate his life has already taken place. Donations for St Richard's Hospice, strichards.org.uk, and Grassroots Jazz, www.grassrootsjazz.com, in memory of Charles, may, may be donated directly to the charities. Skilbeck, Peggy Margaret of Warnden, passed away peacefully in hospital on the 27th of April, 2023, aged 86 years. 
The funeral service will be at Worcester Crematorium on Friday the 26th of May at 10.45. Family flowers only, please, but donations if desired for Acorns Children's Hospice Trust may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery & Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU. Thomas Agnes, formerly of Droitwich, passed away peacefully in Peterborough on the 17th of March 2023, aged 96. Cremation has taken place. Agnes's ashes will be interned with those of her husband, Bill, at Dodderhill Church, Droitwich, on Saturday the 3rd of June 2023, at 11am. Everyone welcome. Donations in memory of Agnes can be made at www.justgiving.com and search Remembering Agnes. All monies will go to the Alzheimer's Society. Wooding Jill. Peacefully at home after a long illness, Jill slipped away on the Sunday, the 7th of May, 2023. The funeral service is to be held at Hereford Crematorium at 1.15pm on Tuesday the 30th of May. Family flowers only, donations if desired, to St Michael's Hospice, care of Ledbury Funeral Services, 132 The Home End, Ledbury, HR8 1BZ. A.S. Brian John passed away peacefully surrounded by his loved ones on Friday the 5th of May 2023, aged 81 years. A funeral service will be held at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday 15 June 2023 at 10.45am, followed by refreshments at Worcester Golf and Country Club, Bransford Road, Worcester. Family flowers only, please. Donations can be made in Brian's memory to the British Heart Foundation at www.bhf.org.uk. Hodgkiss Thomas Leonard, Tom, sadly passed away on the 5th of May and will be sadly missed by friends and family. His funeral is on the 1st of June at 1.45pm at Worcester Crematorium. Flowers or donations to AV Band Funeral Directors. Telephone 01905 22892.